to the Damascus Road podcast. On the road to Damascus, Paul had a radical encounter with Jesus and his life was changed forever. That is what we hope and pray for here. Now, on to this week's episode. There is a one-word question that I voiced during my first week of college uh, that one of my friends remind me, uh, reminds me of every time I see him uh, over 20 years later. I believe it was freshman week. Um, my one friend from high school who went to the same college as me, his name's Colin, uh, we had managed to make some friends. These friends were girls. Um, and one of them was weird. Uh, she was fun, but also loud into drama and burped like a man. I actually remember explaining to her how you don't have to loudly project every burp, um, but can keep them mostly silent when you're in the company of others, which she started doing. It was good. So one day or night or something, I don't really remember, um, we were talking about what to do. And this new friend of mine, Jen, brought up the possibility of going to an art exhibit on campus. And I responded, unironically, art? (laughs) As in, why on God's green earth would we go to an art exhibit? Did all the TVs, video games, ping pong tables, decks of cards, and even sticks and hula hoops break? I was unashamed in my complete bewilderment about this being a viable option for a sane person. And this is what my friend Colin brings up about every time I see him, which averages once every year or two. It it is even memorialized in my 40th birthday present for my wife, where she reached out to friends of mine for dad jokes. And Colin responded with this. He utterly failed the assignment, since that's not a dad joke, and instead reminded me of my revulsion at the idea of walking around and pretending to be interested uh, in student art. (laughs) Now that I'm older and wiser and have been consistently shamed for over 20 years, have I rethought this opinion? No. (laughs) I still don't want to go to an art exhibit. It sounds awful. And all I remember from going to the Art Institute in Chicago for field trips as a kid, which is one of the things we did, is that some paintings are made with dots. That's called pointillism. So I did learn something. Um, And that the native art was mostly statues with uncomfortably exaggerated boobies and (laughs) wee-wees. Or breasts and penises, to put it in adult speak. (laughs) Um, So... They take elementary kids to view these things on field trips, and the teachers give no context. So every third grader is just wildly speculating about what the purpose of these penile emphasized statues are. Anyway, (laughs) so to summarize, I would not call myself artsy, or what I would picture as a creative type. Um, Yet, as as you've already been told by now, today we are covering Jesus as a creator, and I am teaching on it. Um, Now, as I have potentially killed my credibility in this area, uh, I will point out that I don't really see Jesus as artsy or a creative type. And I believe that perhaps what we collectively picture in our heads of what it means to be creative is a little bit skewed. So what I think of as a creative type is a struggling artist, or even a successful artist, but I tend to think struggling is more common, possibly because of my bias. (laughs) Um, Someone who can't help but draw or paint or write music. I picture them a bit hippie-like, disorganized, uh, somewhat unstable, but with some amount of creative genius that manifests on occasion. I picture someone who can't stand a traditional job, who chafes at working for a boss and thinks corporations are evil. This is the stereotype that I have a negative reaction to which you can probably tell by the negative connotation of most of those descriptions. Um, 
Now contrast this to the path that I have chosen um, in college and in my career. As you might have guessed, the 18-year-old college student who was appalled at the idea of going to an art exhibit did not major in art or anything close to art. I got a dual bachelor's of science degrees in business administration and economics. No bachelor's of arts, even in those non-artistic uh, disciplines. <laughs> I got a degree in something I was good at and that I was fairly certain would lead to jobs uh, that paid well and that I would enjoy. Not in a do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life type of way, um, but in the this will be a pretty good job kind of way. Um, this does not fit into what we think of as a creative career path, um, but it is one that has led to consistent work and job satisfaction. And this is the sort of thing we're looking at in the series we started with starting today. Um, the four work roles we see Jesus taking in the Bible. By looking at how Jesus is a creator, a carpenter, a gardener, and a king, we will learn about how Jesus approached work and learn how to be more like him in this key part of our lives. Uh, people spend apparently one-third of their life sleeping, another one-third working, like at work, and one-third doing everything else. So it's a pretty big chunk. Um, how we spend our time at work, what we choose to spend our productive energy on, and uh, what our impact is on the world are very important to our levels of happiness and fulfillment, uh, and they're really important to God. So we are trying to answer the question, what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus when it comes to work? We often focus on Jesus as our savior or a teacher or a healer, which are all good and all true, and those are roles that Jesus uh, fulfills for us, for sure. Um, but we read in the very opening pages of the Bible, it says, in the beginning, God created. So God is showing us right from the beginning that he is a creative, a productive, and a working God. And the first work persona Jesus takes on that we are going to look at this morning is the role of creator. Jesus is a creator, and this should inform how we work and live our lives. We'll look at questions like, if God made us creative beings, why do some people like me have negative reactions to art? What if my work isn't creative? Uh, does that mean that I'm not living up to the potential that God put inside me? What if my passion for art and creativity isn't paying the bills? Is it wrong to get a job that will support me financially? To answer these questions, uh, I'm going to say broadly that we should work uh, as Jesus worked, and we should be creative following the same pattern that we see from Jesus. But to back up a little bit, uh, what's this whole Jesus the creator business? Isn't God the creator? Um, let's look at the Bible. Um, and yes, as we read in Genesis 1:1, one of the most memorized verses, one of the most memorized verses in the Bible, it starts with, "In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters." So at first glance here, no mention of Jesus. Uh, we have God and we have the Spirit of God, uh, which is confusing when considering the Trinity. Uh, however, there are three places in the Bible, at least, where Jesus is brought into this point of creation. We'll start with the beginning of the Gospel of John. It says, In the beginning the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. If you've read, read the Gospel of John, uh, the word here means Jesus, uh, because Jesus is God's truth and the fulfillment of Scripture, um, living and breathing in the flesh. 
John is saying here that Jesus was with God from the very beginning and that everything was created through him. Second one, this is from the book of Colossians. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything and in the, in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Again here, we see Jesus present during creation and participating in the confusing way that Jesus is God, but also came to earth as a man at a specific time in history. All right, once more, now we're going to go back to Genesis. This is less explicit, uh, but in light of these two other passages, it is generally believed by um, Christian Bible scholars to refer to the Trinity, including Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And this is toward the end of Genesis 1. It says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Before this point in Genesis 1, we primarily see God referred to as a person. Here we see him talking to others who are like him. Uh, again, the traditional interpretation here, uh, based on the other verses in the New Testament, is that the us and the our here uh, are used because it is God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, the three persons of God talking with one another. And I could keep going on about the Trinity for kind of a long time, <laughs> but really what we're getting at this morning is that Jesus was part of create, the creation of the world. Uh, he was with the Father, creating the seas, the land, the stars in the sky above, the animals on the earth below, the vast variety of plants, day, night, and human beings. Jesus was and is the greatest creator that the world or the universe has ever seen. And quick aside, in case you're thinking about it, uh, the first two chapters of Genesis, uh, the creation stories, are a part of the Bible that has a pretty wide range of interpretations. If you're interested in exploring these, because I'm not going to, <laughs> uh, and how they relate to science and evolution, uh, I recommend The Reason for God by Timothy Keller. He goes into some of the various views, and he lands essentially where I do, that uh, Christian belief in God as the creator of the world um, and a high view of the authority of the Bible are not at odds with science and a belief in evolution. Um, how does he do that? Well, I mean, there's, there's nuance for sure. Um, and there are you know, various places that you can reasonably land. But again, as with the Trinity, this isn't really the focus. So if, you wanna, if you're interested in that, uh, the reason for God, uh, it addresses this and many other good and reasonable questions around Christianity. Uh, we have a few copies of the DR store. I think there were like four of them, and you can get, it's five bucks. We have it reduced there. So um, if you want to check that out in the back, if you're like me and you pretty much do audiobooks, um, that's how I've recently consumed it. I've had the book for like three years, and I finally got it on audiobook, which means I actually got through it. <laughs> um, all right. So Jesus is the great creator. We are trying to learn to be creative in our work and lives like he was. To learn how to do this well, we'll look at various aspects of Jesus the creator, from the main creation narrative in Genesis to Jesus' ministry as the incarnated God on earth. Um, but we'll start at the end of Genesis 1. And I personally tend to skew very pro-work and productivity focused. Um, so this starting point is a good reminder for me up front. It says, so the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. 
All right, so first point of how God uh, creates. Um, he worked six days, and then he rested on the seventh day. Now, this is two-sided. Uh, we should rest for a day each week. This is a practice called Sabbath, which is really important. Uh, if you were here last week, we talked about how the Stibberches are starting a sabbatical. That's kind of in this vein, although it's kind of more at a you know, multi-year level type of Sabbath. Um, so rest and rhythm are, are key to a healthy life, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Um, the part that we talk about less is that you should work and be productive the other six days. But Brad, a five-day work week is standard. Are you trying to take half my weekend? <laughs> well, no, not exactly, um, but kind of. <laughs> uh, if you're an adult or a student or really most types of people in America, you do things that are necessary, are productive, but are not part of your job or your studies as a student, which is kind of your main um, work when you're a student. Um, this counts. Things around the house, side hustles, productive hobbies, serving at church. What I'm doing right now is work. It's volunteering for me, but it's work. I'm not resting. I'm not Sabbathing. I'm serving right now, uh, which means if I observed a Sabbath this week, it needed to be yesterday. <laughs> um, and we can discuss, if you'd like, how I do this. It's hard. I mean, when you work full time and then you, you know, do something major on the weekend that's also work, it's hard to Sabbath. Um, but that is what we're to do. Um, so... There's two pieces. Take a Sabbath, don't work, let yourself be unproductive for 24 hours, it will be good for you. On the other side, work hard and be productive for the six working days. And this is a pattern that we break on both sides of the equation. Often, you know, on the same week, we'll, we'll try to do <coughs> both things uh, less than we should. So, um, like we try to steal rest time while we're working. There's like a whole movement of like how to do the least possible at work. <laughs> um, there's things like quiet quitting. There are people who take multiple jobs while they, um, while they work remotely. There's all kinds of things people do trying to do the minimum to get by. That is not how you're supposed to work. Uh, on the school side, um, you know, not doing assignments that you're supposed to get done, sleeping in class. Like there's, there's all kinds of things that people do in their working days to be less than efficient, to be less than what God intends for your work. Um, and then on the other side of it, trying to work through the whole week, uh, which will lead to burnout and a spirit that is hurried, anxious, and has difficulty accepting God's grace. So work hard for six days. We work as if we're working for God um, and rest and Sabbath for one day each week and disengage. All right, for the next bit of how Jesus created, we'll look at two examples of his creation. First, something that I haven't seen in real life, but I want to. Uh, the Northern Lights or the Aurora Borealis. I don't know that I've told my wife Lacey this, uh, but one of my plans for our retirement is to go on Northern Lights cruises. <laughs> the combination of heavenly beauty and all-you-can-eat dining is right up my alley for when I'm, <laughs> for when I'm retired. Um, and so to me, the Northern Lights are like the epitome um, of wonder, awe, and beauty, uh, the beauty of creation. Um, I also think that, the, that, there, that there isn't really a purpose of it other than beauty, <laughs> uh, and I'm not a scientist. <laughs> Maybe they sustain all life in the cold places where they appear, but God's creation is full of wonderful beauty and creativity that far surpasses the art at the exhibits in Truman State University that I did not want to go to. Um, I will pay thousands of dollars to go see the Northern Lights. I wouldn't pay 25 of my freshman week minutes to go look at art. <laughs> Um, Jesus is the master creator. <laughs> um, 
So our creator also creates a world that functions well, that actually works. There is a Jewish prayer called the Asher Yatzer, and I apologize to anyone who knows how that's really pronounced, <laughs> um, that says, blessed are you, Adonai, our God, king of the universe, who formed man with wisdom and created within him many openings and many hollow spaces. It is obvious and known before your seat of honor that if even one of them would be opened or if one of them would be sealed, it would be impossible to survive and to stand before you for even one hour. Blessed are you, Adonai, who heals all flesh and acts wondrously. So this is a prayer that is said uh, either after or as you go to the bathroom. (laughs) Uh, The first time I heard it, it was summarized more like, God, thank you for giving my body holes. So Jesus creates things that are beautiful, like the northern lights and sunrises, but he also creates things that are practical, things that work. Jesus did not spend all his time making things that inspire wonder. He understood the details and had a plan for them as well. So I used a crass example (laughs) um, that I can easily understand. But for another example, I'll turn to a passage from The Reason for God. Um, This is referred to as the cosmic welcome mat. It says... For organic life to exist, the fundamental regularities and and constants of physics, the speed of light, the gravitational constant, the strength of of the weak and strong nuclear forces must all have values that together fall into an extremely narrow range. The probability of this perfect calibration happening by chance is so tiny as to be statistically negligible. Some have said that it was as if there were a large number of dials that all had to be tuned within extremely narrow limits, and they all were. So as science advances and learns more about the universe, we have learned how perfectly the world had to be put together to create and sustain life. When Jesus created the world, he made it so that all the forces of the world worked together such that there would be life. Human life, of course, but also plant and animal life. He made the world not only beautiful, he made it work down to the molecular level and below. He made everything work uh, that we've learned about through studying creation, and maybe things work in ways that we don't know and some that humanity never will. So the second way Jesus created, he created things that are visually beautiful with no other purpose and things that are very practical but unappealing and everything in between. And I've kind of hinted at this point throughout the message, but the definition of creative people being confined to artists, painters, musicians, graphic artists, or even content creators is wrong and limiting. I've said several times how I'm not drawn to traditional art, (laughs) Um, but I do consume an awful lot of writing through books. I watch a lot of television and stand-up comedy. A couple of years ago, I flew to Denver with Lacey um, for a weekend, kind of to see my dad, (laughs) Uh, but mostly because two comedians I love had shows there the same weekend. And this is really just a preference. I care a lot about stand-up comedy. I care very little about uh, painting and um, sculpture. (laughs) Um, So that's just a preference. And that that piece and understanding that is very easy. But let's broaden the definition even more. Um, So like I mentioned at the beginning, I have a job in business. I work at Raytheon in finance. Specifically now, I work in accounting. I wouldn't say that I actually do accounting, uh, at least not how people usually think about it. But to summarize, I work for a big corporation, 
uh, in a field where creativity is frowned upon. <laughs> uh, creative accounting usually refers to finding ways to break policies <laughs> and to break the law. I mean, it's um, so not good stuff. <laughs> However, even in this job, there is creativity. Um, one of the things that I've done over the past year is to create a new process uh, for a new way that we collect certain types of costs that came into existence at the beginning of last year because we merged some things together. It's both complicated and boring for most people, so I'll stop with the details there. Um, but this required figuring out how to put together something that didn't exist, how to pull in hundreds of different people in their inputs and get something that worked for everybody. Uh, there was some guidance for sure, um, but I was creating something. Um, it's not art, it's not something beautiful, or even something fun to talk about. <laughs> um, but I had to create something that worked well, again, for hundreds of people who I rolled this process out to. Otherwise, all of their jobs would have gotten harder and been miserable, <laughs> and they would have asked for my immediate removal and replacement with someone who could create better. Um, so for biblical backup here, I'll point to two things Jesus did during his ministry. Um, two of the things we see Jesus doing the most often, uh, these are not part of our, um, our series, so we're kind of hit on them here. It says, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. So Jesus' creative work uh, did not end with the creation of the world. When he was on earth, he healed people and he taught people. And this isn't creating something out of nothing, it is fixing what is broken when you look at healing people and helping people see the right way to do things through teaching people. We see Jesus teach with parables, uh, which at times the Bible says is confused, but at other times they help people have a context to understand deep complexities of life, life with God and spiritual truths. And people who teach kids in school benefit immensely from using their creativity. Kids learn differently, people learn differently, uh, and straight data transfer through lecture or textbooks isn't effective for everyone. This is actually part of how we teach on Sunday mornings. Do you guys think that I talk about my meathead distaste for art exhibits or Jewish prayers, thanking God for giving us holes because I like to? <laughs> well, yes, I do. That's, that's part of why I do it. Uh, but it's also to help ideas sink in and be remembered and to make it easier for everyone to maintain attention, including me. <laughs> um, so creativity is not limited to drawing. Um, figuring out how to fix things that are broken, how, how to see a process that can be improved or see a problem from a different angle and find a solution. Being able to help kids understand math or science um, or literature by explaining it differently or just explaining it well. These are aspects of creativity. Remember, creation is not always about being different uh, or being uh, beautiful. It's also about creating things that work, things that are effective, things that help people, things that are good. Let's add a few more things to our running list of how Jesus was a creator from this. Uh, we've got that Jesus made things that worked and that were good. Jesus fixed things or people when he was healing and Jesus taught people better ways to live. So we have Jesus who creates things that are beautiful, unique and diverse, but also creates things that are practical, utilitarian and functional. And at the end of it all, he doesn't say, Look at the northern lights, my greatest creation. It says at the end of Genesis 1, when God has created everything, it says, then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. 
God looked at the most beautiful sunrise, the most glorious mountains, and his design for disposing of human waste, and said that it was all very good. Have you ever looked back at something that you worked on a couple years ago and been shocked by how good it is? Like you have in your head that you're getting so much better and back three years ago I was terrible at stuff and then you look at something like, oh, this is good. Like this was made by a fully competent person. Um, I've done that with old messages and stuff I've done at work. Uh, And this passage I just read, it sounds to me like God doing this at like a cosmic scale. Like he's looking over creation and then he like looks over the Holy Spirit and says, I think this is actually kind of (laughs) good. Like. Are you kidding me? Jesus, get in here. High fives all around, guys. (laughs) So we see here that God is happy with his creation and finds satisfaction in its beauty and utility. We see this in all of his creation, but especially in the creation of humanity. And I think this is what Jesus is actually the most proud of in his creation. We read in Genesis, as Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image, to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So this is the pinnacle of creation. And the only time that something is said to be made in God's image, or as we talked about earlier, in our image, um, is when he makes human beings. And it's really interesting, this is some of the like podcasts I listen to talk about this, um, hearing scientific or secular discussions about what makes humans different from animals. Uh, it even goes to arguments about how, you know, maybe we're not actually any different than animals. Um, I think that's a little silly, since we're the ones discussing if we're different than animals, but anyway, that seems like a big difference to me. Uh, I th- but I think of the way things they get into, the one that I find the most compelling about what makes humans different than animals, Um, and I think, therefore, is a bit of what it means to be made in God's image, is that we have imagination and creativity. We can conceive of the possibility of something in our minds that doesn't exist, and through our will, hard work, and ingenuity, we can make it a reality. We can create. Maybe not to the level that Jesus creates. Again, Northern Lights versus Art Exhibit at Truman State University. Not close. (laughs) Um, But we are all given the ability to see what could be or what should be, and what is needed to make it a reality. So we are created beings, created by God, or created by Jesus, as we read in Genesis, but we are also creative beings, and this is tied to us being made in God's image. I think there are other aspects of what it means to be made in God's image, um, but I feel like this is one of the very key pieces. All right, so now we have a pretty good running list of how Jesus created and worked as an example. So the question for us is, how do we mirror this? How do we mirror Jesus? Um, You may be saying, well, I'm a student. Really, my job right now is to learn information or ideas and be able to reproduce them on tests or in papers. Uh, Or I work in a job that I am specifically supposed to follow exact work instructions, (laughs) and deviating from them, no matter how creatively, um, is grounds for reprimand or termination. Um, So I'll start by going to the Bible one last time. Uh, and will again ask us to raise our definition of what is work and what our purpose is. So two passages we'll look at together. It says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. So first, uh, God made us. Um, He made us wonderfully complex. He made us in his image. He made us creative. 
Um, he gave us unique gifts and passions and abilities. Um, I don't want to make this sound like, you know, you are the, you are God's gift to the world, that you are like the main character in the story or whatever. Um, that's Jesus. So Jesus is the hero of the story. That's really the takeaway there. Um, but God had a purpose in mind when he created you. Uh, remember the northern lights or whatever it is to you that represents the perfection of God's creation. It's so beautiful and awe-inspiring and wondrous. Uh, yet it is when, God, when he made people that God did his greatest creative work. We are made in his image, and God did not waste his image when he made you. Um, he was not out of creativity to fill people with when you came along. He was not out of purpose or out of passion when he made you. He created you to create, to improve the world and the people around you. He created you to improve the world, to organize, to make things that work. He created you with work in mind. He made you to do work and to do work that only you can do. It says in the book of Ephesians, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the things he planned for us long ago. So then what is the good that we should be doing? Um, that's a little bit of a harder question. Uh, I'll give you a few ideas of how to determine that uh, and then I'll close out. Um, first, there are a lot of resources available to help understand how God made you. There are spiritual gift tests, personality tests like Myers-Briggs. There are the Enneagram types. Uh, Ryan put together a class that wraps spiritual gifts and passions together called the Order of Becoming uh, that's really good. And it's actually what we're going to be doing for our corporate reflection through this series. We're going to be kind of going through it in some basic ways and then, and then pointing to some resources there. Um, and it's designed to help you understand how God designed you to serve in a ministry context. It's spiritual gifts, your passions, um, kind of how you were specifically made. Um, so if you aren't sure about what sort of work you should be doing or feel pretty unfulfilled uh, by the work you do now, it's worth trying to discover more about how you're wired and how you're created. Um, second, uh, it's okay for your paid job not to be your passion. I fall into this category. Like I said earlier, I do enjoy my job, but making Raytheon money is not my life's passion. That would be weird. Um, <laughs> now, there are people I work with um, who see protecting the American warfighter as a fulfilling passion, which I totally get. Um, I'm not really one of those. I, I do think that's cool, and I, I, would, I would say that that contributes to my like, fulfillment and purpose some. Um, but I'm more satisfied because it's, the work is challenging, I'm valued, and through it, I'm able to support ministries and things in the world that I am passionate about. Um, but if working my job was all I did, I wouldn't feel very fulfilled. Uh, for me, the purpose and meaning comes from my family, supporting my wife and kids, and doing ministry through our church. These things provide purpose and fulfillment for me, and, there, and you know, there, there's that. There's other options out there as well outside of your main job. Um, we, we see different examples of how this works in the Bible, too. Uh, there are people who do full-time ministry, like Jesus, um, but at least once he starts his ministry. Before that, I, he was a carpenter um, doing kind of full-time work. Uh, there are people who do ministry but also work to support their ministry. Uh, the Apostle Paul does this. We see him making tents um, or do tent making during the day. That's where that phrase comes from, is he made tents to support the ministry that he was doing. Um, which was his real passion. Uh, there are people who fund the ministry through their normal work, using their creativity and abilities God gave them to make money, uh, or just inherit money, and bring about the kingdom of God through their generosity. Um, for Jesus, these people who supported his ministry were primarily women. Uh, in Luke 8, it says, when describing Jesus' followers, 
Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. So all of these are options. Um, your job can be your calling, or it can be something else in your life, or it can be both. Uh, I think often when we're unfulfilled in work and in life, when we feel like we have a life without passion or purpose, uh, the issue is really that we have junk in our lives uh, that we need to get out from under. Um, we have lie lies that we have bought into or strict rules that we need, that we feel we need to follow to be happy or healthy, or even just a belief that Jesus isn't that interested in us or that he doesn't have a plan for us. And this could not be further from the truth. He made us to be creative. He made us to work. But to do so, we have to be free from the addictions and the shackles of sin. And sin isn't just a list of, um, of things not to do. It's things that if you continue to do will limit and strangle your God-given purpose. And to close and kind of reiterate this last point, I'll share a passage from, from Galatians that gives another idea for a starting place for creative, fulfilling work in a broader sense. It says, for you, have been uh, sorry. for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So if you're unsure what to do with your productive hours, find a way to love your neighbor, to help people around you who, or who cannot help themselves. This is right in line with Jesus' life, his ministry, his work, and his creation. Let's pray together. Dear God, I thank you. Um, I thank you for the model that you give us, uh, your son Jesus. I thank you that, um, that you give us work and things that are fulfilling and that matter that we can do in our lives, Lord. That we can partner with you um, to find ways that we are gifted, things that we are passionate about, and ways that we can live our lives um, that are fulfilling um, and that matter, God. I thank you that we can join you um, in work, and I thank you that you are here with us today, Lord, that you love us. We love you, God. I pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Thank you for joining the Damascus Road podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus together by being with God, loving everyone, transforming people, developing leaders, growing new ministries, and changing the world. You can find out more about us online at damascusroadtucson.com.